Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Today, we're talking about thyroiditis and COVID-19. Joining me is Dr. Ilaria Muller from the University of Milan in Milan, Italy. Dr. Muller recently presented her research at Endo 2021. Her abstract was titled, Early Follow-Up of Atypical Thyroiditis Induced by SARS-CoV-2. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Muller. Thanks, Aaron. What is thyroiditis and what are its typical causes? Thyroiditis means an inflammation of the thyroid gland. The causes can be very different. The commonest, uh, especially among women, is thyroid autoimmunity. When there is an infiltration of um, immune cells in the thyroid, that cause damaging and inflammation of the thyroid gland. Of course, there are other causes, like it can be cytokines or drugs, for example, amiodarone that is very rich in iodine and causes distress and damaging of the thyroid. But of course, in addition, there are the infections that are another very important cause of thyroiditis and uh, in particular also virus. Viruses cause a so-called subacute thyroiditis, um, and of course, is the cause of thyroiditis that has much uh, uh, interest here since we are talking about uh, thyroiditis in the COVID-19 era. Quite a big number of viruses that can cause uh, thyroiditis, even if the proofs, they're not so complete because it's quite tricky to really catch the virus inside the thyroid gland. The real proof of the viral infection of the thyroid gland is to find the virus inside the thyroid gland. However, sometimes for the majority of viruses that have been associated with subacute thyroiditis, for example, even the influenza viruses, mumps, uh, rubella, hepatitis, uh, and many others, some in the majority of cases, the proof are indirect. That means that we find the serum antibodies against these viruses in the blood, and usually the thyroiditis kicks in a few days or weeks after a classic infection. So there are mainly indirect proofs of viral infection, except for some cases where we have found that. So everything started with the idea that also SARS-CoV-2 might infect the thyroid gland. In fact, the thyroid gland has two, I mean, expressed the ACE2, that is the entry receptor used for the virus, and also TMPRS2, that is a protease that is needed by the virus for its activation. And both ACE2 and this such protease, they are highly expressed by the thyroid tissue, sometimes even more than in the lung itself. It is one of the major target organ of this virus. And uh, some cases of uh, classic subacute thyroiditis, classic viral thyroiditis have been described after mild SARS-CoV-2 infection as well. And uh, how we define classic subacute thyroiditis. Classic subacute thyroiditis, as I said, follows a few weeks or days after a classic, you know, cold, classic viral infection. And you have one distinct feature that is the pain in your neck, 
pain mm. in your gland due to the infiltration with giant cells that are the classic cells that are created in this kind of viral thyroiditis, that they stretch the thyroid gland, the capsule of the thyroid gland, and that causes uh, pain. And of course, when you have a thyroiditis that is a damaging of the thyroid, you have a rupture of the thyroid with release of thyroid hormones in the blood. So this very likely causes symptoms of excess of thyroid hormones and especially are the heart symptoms like tachycardia, but also sweating, anxiety, nervousness, and so on. So this is the classic picture of classic viral subacute thyroiditis that has also been described with SARS-CoV-2. And usually this um, affects women, women more frequently than men. But in our study, we have, well, described a slightly different uh, type of uh, thyroiditis associated with SARS-CoV-2 also that we defined as atypical. And if you want, I can better explain what I'm talking about. Sure, I'd love to hear more. So when you're talking about atypical, please explain. We are just at the beginning of this research. So these are our course hypotheses. But first of all, as I said, the classic subacute thyroiditis hits in the following days or weeks from the infection. While in our original paper published in the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology, we studied 85 patients with COVID-19 disease from moderate to severe intensity that were hospitalized at the time. And we analyzed the thyroid function just at the beginning of hospitalization. And of course, this is important to say, we checked the TSH before administering steroids or heparin and other drugs, but in particular steroids and heparin because they can affect thyroid function and they can interfere. So just to uh, underline that we had clean data from this point of view. And uh, we observed a low TSH and uh, it was partially expected because we know that patients with moderate to severe uh, diseases of any kind, they very often suffer with non-thyroidal illness syndrome. That is a sort of adaptive and uh, maladaptive uh, uh, condition due to the fact that there is a setting down of the pituitary and from the hypothalamus pituitary axis that reduces TSH, but also reduces FT3 from here, the, the name of the condition, because we want to save energy during a very stressful and um, severe condition. So our body sets down, and in addition to the hypothalamus pituitary setting down, there is also reduced conversion of a peripheral conversion of thyroid hormones. So we also have low FT3 for this reason. So at the beginning, we were thinking that this low TSH was due to this condition. But then we went on and checked, of course, the concentrations of free thyroid hormones. And we found, uh, as expected, low FT3 levels, but not low as well FT4, that they were normal high in the majority of cases, but in some cases also above the upper limit of normality. So it was a so-called thyrotoxicosis of an excess of FT4. 
and low TSH. So we were thinking, well, non-thyroidal illness syndrome alone cannot justify this picture. Probably something else is going on. So for this reason, we um, called back the patient at the end of the disease. This was, again, the first study. And uh, of course, at the time, we were in the first wave of the pandemic in full emergency. So we were able to recall only a small number of patients, just eight of them. But there, we found at the ultrasound of the thyroid gland, that is one uh, main examination to have a diagnosis of thyroiditis, we found the typical ultrasound features of uh, thyroiditis um, with some focal hyperechoic areas that were compatible with thyroiditis. And this is where the study that I've just presented at the end of 2021 uh, kicks in, because we extended the number of patients that had the thyroid checked at the ultrasound, again, after two months, two to three months, as soon as they could be discharged, they were negative, of course, for SARS-CoV-2 and could reattend an outpatient visit at the hospital. And we confirmed this data because we were able to perform 49 ultrasound as the data that I presented, and of them, 16 had focal areas compatible with thyroiditis. So around one third of patients still after two to three months. And this is expected because we know that the, even with classical subacute thyroiditis, we know that imaging of thyroiditis lasts for several weeks or even months. So it is expected that the these areas, they are lasting, even if the thyroid function had completely normalized and again after two to three months. So again, this is expected because we know that the thyroid toxicosis, whether mild or whether overt, it is transient because the thyroid gland breaks, releases the hormones, but then is a wave that passes, usually come back to the normal functionality. But this is why it is important to continue to follow these patients because what we know from the classic subacute thyroiditis is that um, a permanent hypothyroidism can develop in the following months, even in the following years. And in addition to thyroid dysfunction, also thyroid autoimmunity can be triggered because we know that infections are one of the causes uh, at the basis of uh, the origin of autoimmunity. So this is why we are following these patients. So to summarize, we define atypical thyroiditis because there was no neck pain in these patients. It was developing during the hospitalization for moderate to severe COVID-19 disease. It was affecting mainly males and not females as expected in the classic subacute thyroiditis. And this is, of course, according to the fact that COVID-19 diseases affects more men. It was associated with the severity of illness, while classic subacute thyroiditis usually affects after mild respiratory condition. And even in SARS-CoV-2, the cases of subacute thyroiditis have been described mainly in females and after mild infection with uh, SARS-CoV-2. And the thyrotoxicosis was also not so 
overt as expected in classic subacute thyroiditis in our cohort. But as I said, this condition was observed during the disease, so there was the non-thyroidal illness syndrome also overlapped to the thyroiditis, and that could uh, create some difficulties, of course, in making a certain diagnosis uh, because the two forces on the thyroid, they go in different ways. The patients also were on anti-inflammatory drugs, non-steroids, but they were on anti-inflammatory drugs at the beginning, paracetamol, so this might also have masked the neck pain. But also, we might hypothesize that this kind of thyroiditis has a different mechanism from the classical subacute thyroiditis. As I said, the classic subacute thyroiditis is due to giant cells that uh, uh, infiltrate the thyroid gland and stretch the capsule, but there are other causes of thyroiditis, like, as I said, in the painless thyroiditis, that is of autoimmune etiology, we don't have any neck pain, but we have, of course, a damaging of the thyroid with classic uh, areas of thyroiditis and the ultrasound uh, scan. So we might hypothesize that different mechanisms are involved uh, also here. For example, we might hypothesize the apoptosis because some features of thyroid apoptosis have been described with SARS-CoV-1 virus in some autoptic uh, studies. So we might hypothesize that uh, a similar mechanism is also responsible for a slightly uh, different presentation of uh, SARS-CoV-2 thyroiditis. We have uh, only a few autoptic studies with SARS-CoV-2. So far, the studies that have uh, evaluated mm -hmm. the thyroid gland, uh, they didn't find uh, any particular, I mean, to my knowledge, of course, the areas is evolving day by day, but to my knowledge, uh, uh, no particular features uh, have, uh, have been described in the thyroid. However, these studies were not focused for the thyroid gland. What this means? This means that we don't know anything about the thyroid function. So I'm not surprised in finding no thyroid abnormalities in a patient that did not develop thyroiditis. Do you know what I mean? So the key now really to close the circle is to have good focused cytological and histological studies on the thyroid of patients that developed thyroid abnormalities during COVID-19 disease. That would really, really help to clarify the exopathogenesis of this thyroiditis in these patients. What we already have learned from your two studies here, your previous one and the one you're presenting at ENDO, is there any findings from these that might impact the care for patients with COVID-19? For example, you mentioned longer-term follow-up. Are there things that healthcare providers should consider in light of your findings? In addition to the short-term clinical consequences of the thyroiditis, as I said, if the thyrotoxicosis is massive, it can precipitate conditions during the disease due to tachycardia, arrhythmia, and so on. But in the long term, we'll continue to monitor these patients, also increasing the number, of course, of patients evaluated, because long-term thyroid dysfunction, in particular hypothyroidism, might develop, as well as the positivity of thyroid autoantibodies. So far, at three months of follow-up, but they can also anticipate at six months follow-up, because we are now 
preparing the data, we have now found an increased prevalence of thyroid autoantibodies. We are measuring antithyroid globulin antibodies, antithyroid peroxidase antibodies, and also autoantibodies to the TSH receptor trab. But uh, this is important because we continue to see the ultrasound feature of thyroiditis much reduced at six months, but still present, as I said, at three months. So this really tells us that is a mechanism due to the SARS-CoV-2 infection in some way and not yet, we don't know, to thyroid autoimmunity. And SARS-CoV-2 might have caused a focal damaging of the thyroid directly, but also indirectly with the cytokine storm that we know that is associated to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. In your future research, as you follow up this group and continue to follow up this group, is there anything specifically in the near term that you're looking to identify or understand a little bit better? Well, we are also performing some cytological studies uh, of the thyroid uh, of these patients. We are very, very preliminary data. So that will be, as I said, the key. That is what we really try to search. Is there something weird, something unusual, something unexpected going on in this thyroid glands? Another important thing is, uh, I don't know, we will see. I don't expect a major thyroid dysfunction because this thyroid toxicosis, I'm talking about this atypical thyroiditis, was um, not so overt and it was more focal. So, you know, if you have a focal damage rather than a diffuse damage, you don't expect a, a severe thyroid dysfunction. However, the thyroid could be partially damaged. So we also plan to do a perchlorate test, a sort of a stress test for the thyroid gland to see whether there is a reduced capacity of the overall functioning of the thyroid gland that is not shown in the physiological condition, but when the thyroid gland will need to increase its release of thyroid hormones, that might be revealed the, the reduction. We want to test the reserve capacity of the thyroid gland. You know, like during pregnancy, I mean, a woman can have a perfectly normal thyroid function in physiological condition, but during pregnancy, there is an increase need of thyroid hormones, a sort of natural stress test, and that is revealed in sub-physiological yeah, reduce the function of the gland. So this is what we want to investigate with the perchlorate test as well. This is fascinating and important work, and we look forward to hearing more. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Bye. And that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Dr. Muller's work. If you'd like to hear more about COVID-19 and endocrinology, we've had quite a few podcasts touching on the subject and more on the way. I encourage you to check those out at endocrine.org slash podcast. If there's a topic you'd like to see us cover on the podcast, be sure to let me know by emailing us at podcast at endocrine.org. And as always, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.